brought to you by Brass and Unity. We make wearable conversation starters. Our new buddy check packs are available now. Grab one and check on one of your closest buddies. They may need it now more than ever. Go to brassandunity.com, use the code UNITY and get 20% off. And let's all heal together. And brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat flip-flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. To help support the podcast and in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become a part of their unarmed forces today. Be sure to use the code UNITY at checkout and get 25% off. And brought to you by GFDA. Good fucking design advice. The voice in your head and the foot up your ass. GFDA makes prints, drinkware, and apparel for people who want to do their fucking best. Go and use the code UNITY and get 10% off now on anything on their site, including our collaborative product, Fucking Help Somebody. And brought to you by Daisy May Hat Co., the custom hat company based in Nashville, Tennessee. They make custom one-of-a-kind hats from wide-brimmed fedoras to cowboy hats. All of their hats are 100% beaver felt, and it's the highest quality hat you can get. They also have the coolest shirts ever. You can use the code BRASS at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Go and check out daisymayhats.com. Embrace the fever. Live the dream. Got Jack Posopek. Posopek? Did you're I say so that close. right? You're so close. Help it's me. Bic. It's it's big like the like the razor. Posobic. Posobic? Razor, like the pen or whatever. But in Polish, of course, it's actually a little bit different. In Polish, uh, you would say Jacek Posobiec. So it's actually like a TZ sound. Oh. But um, in the Polish language, they do they you do the alphabet a little bit differently. So it's the letter C, even though it's a TZ sound. And then because Poles are like that. I, I like to say <laughs> that we keep the language deliberately undecipherable to discourage immigration. Like, <laughs> can't speak this language. Probably can't move there. Just moving on. It's like, yeah, keep going. Keep going. Get out of here. Don't want you. We're one minute oh, in. Already got you. We hit it. We're in. And we're in. And welcome to the show, Jack. I'm uh, thrilled to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for coming on, man. Um, for people who don't know who you are, uh, you're quite an interesting individual online. You've got quite the presence, and you and you say a lot of things that I wish I could say, but would be thrown in prison in Canada if I did. Uh yeah, actually, you know, we saw that certainly with um you know, the trucker convoy whole situation, you know, people were thrown in prison for honking, you know, just a couple, what, a couple of weeks ago, we don't even talk about it anymore, but it just happened. It was this huge major thing. Um, people throw in prison for honking, people are getting attacked. Um, I guess by way of background, um, for those who don't follow me, um, uh, prior Navy intelligence officer was stationed and, uh, at Navy intelligence headquarters in DC, uh, bounced around a bit, mostly East Asia. Um, so China was a big focus for me, um, Mandarin linguist on that side, but then also did one deployment counterterrorism and, um, interrogation cell at the, uh, Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there. I love that you, I love that you it's clear that you know what you're doing because you just give me the beginning clip, exactly what I need from you. And it's so easy to have conversations <laughs> with people like you because you make my job fun. You make it in a way that there's there an understanding with the dance. So when you start breaking down, I want to even go before that. Why the hell did you join the military in the first place? And intelligence at all is something that a lot of people, when I hear the, I want to join the army, it's not, I want to go Navy Intel. It's, I want to go shoot bad guys. Right, right, right. Well, you know, for me, um, 
I kind of had this idea that, you know, <laughs> I thought, you know, you're probably not very naive like everybody else before you join. You're like, oh, yeah, you know, you join Intel, you're going to be James Bond and Jason Bourne all rolled into one. But for me, I'm going to learn some Chinese. So I actually learned, believe it or not, I lived in China as part of study abroad when I was in college um, in Shanghai. And then I ended up staying okay. for like two years. So I learned Chinese even prior to joining. So I already had this interest in China. And then as I was looking at it, I was like, you know, this, and this is like, what, 16, yeah, 16, 15, 16 years ago. And I said, look, I think this is like the, the absolute growing threat. This is something that's going to be a huge issue for us down the line. And this is global war on terror had, you know, really was the major focus in, we're talking 05, 06 timeframe. But I remember just every time I turned around, it was like, China's here, China's there, China's doing this, China's doing that. And I said, you know what? Everybody I know is studying Arabic or, or Farsi, right? Or Pashto. Um, I'm going to study Mandarin because no, you know, what's something that nobody else is doing. So that's what I did. And everybody said I was nuts. And, and then of course, you know, eventually get sent to Gitmo anyway, but that's, you know, how that goes. Um, <laughs> but then, so yeah, I go to China, live there for two years in the city of Shanghai. So um, not to jump ahead too far, but you know, when you see some of these videos coming out of Shanghai right now with these lockdowns that are going on mm -hmm. and the people starving and screaming and, you know, just trying to get some food, I'm looking at that. I'm like, these were my neighbors, right? These were families that, you know, we, we would go to host families and they would, you know, they bring you in, they teach you some Chinese, you make dumplings, you have dinner together. And the people are great. The people of China are fantastic. Mm -hmm. And to me, looking at this stuff, it's it's just it's really hard for me to watch it because it looks exactly like the apartment building I lived in. Only you see somebody like jumping out to their death because they can't they can't go on because they can't live in the lockdown. And they just so they're at six weeks right now as we're recording this. They just announced last night that they're getting extended because they started oh opening it up in some of the districts. But then it, oh, cases popping up again, two people po tested positive here, four people tested positive there. So they're putting the lockdowns back down on um, I think all but four of the 16 districts of Shanghai. And that, that's that's for people. It the perspective of the numbers in a city in China is something that we almost can't really grasp in the United States or in the West because they're just so many more people than they have in our city. So if you look at you know the New York metropolitan area, everybody knows New York City. The entire New York metropolitan area is like five million people, right? That's that's maybe maybe a small district in mm -hmm. Shanghai, right? The city of Shanghai is 29 million people average. And when I say average is interesting because their, their city actually fluctuates. Um, mm -hmm. They, because during the day, a lot of migrant workers will come in and build up the city and then flood in and then as the day ends, they'll flood out. It's, I guess, similar to, you know, a city with, with uh, suburban workers, how it, that used to be in the U.S. prior to COVID and everything else. But you'll see as many as two to three million people coming on, a, you know, on a regular day, you know, prior to lockdowns coming into the city during that time. So you're, you're pushing 30 million. This is one of the largest cities on the face of the planet, and they've turned it into an open air prison. And when I look at that thing, I just, I think of, I actually did reach out to some of the people that I knew that I had stayed with, you know, we kind of keep in touch. 
and they're all good. Like they've, they've either gotten out or they're in a different part of the country and they're okay. Um, so that of course made me feel better. It was like, you know, uh, saying a prayer for them, but you know, looking at it from this perspective, it's just, it's crazy. So I came in and then I picked Navy because I wanted, you know, I just really wanted to focus on China. As you can tell, that's, you know, that's a, a subject matter focus for me. And so I really wanted to focus on that. And it looked like Navy was the one that had the most interface with China. It was the one that touched it the most because, you know, number one, if there was any conflict that kicks off, with China, it's going to be over South China Sea, or it's going to be over Taiwan, that's mm -hmm. going to be a Navy fight, right? That's obviously just going to be a Navy fight, just the same way as our war with Japan was largely a Navy fight. Um, and then if that, you know, so, you know, kind of going backwards from there, it looked like Navy was was what I wanted to do. And then I already spoke Mandarin. And so they, they said, hey, do you want to be, you know, do you want to be, a, you know, like a crippy, as we call them crippies in the Navy, crypto, uh, cryptologic um, interpreter. And I said, no, I do not want to be the guy who's hard just pass. Yeah, hard pass, um, full stop. Do not want to be the guy who's just translating all day long. I want to actually, you know, figure out what's going on, figure out what they're up to, try to try to get inside their head a little bit more. So uh, that's when I went, why I went the Intel route and uh, started enlisted, then went officer because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I'm one of the first people. Obviously. In, uh, yeah, I know, right? Um, so had my degree, then went went enlisted before I went officer. And, um, you know, basically when, when people come to me now, you know, on the other side of it, I always say, guys, uh, Razi, Razi, Razi all day long. That is like such a cheat code um, and, and it will set you up for success. And that, by the way, um, I think working for a living on the enlisted side at the same time, there is nothing more honorable than doing that. Those are the people that actually get their hands dirty. Those are the people actually doing the work. And, you know, it, that's a great life. I still have buddies that are still in that, you know, that went on and, you know, they're, they're, you know, E7s and E8s now. And, you know, look, some of them, some of them, you know, not, not a lot of the guys not I know <laughs> pushing anything higher than that, but it's, it's just interesting to see, um, sort of the different career paths people take I actually got hit up by, um, a girl that I was in a class with uh, down at uh, Virginia Beach, just on Instagram, because, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, look at, mm -hmm. you know, look at Poso. I knew him. He was just the guy who sat next to me in the classroom and in the schoolhouse. And now he's, you know, doing podcasts and everything. And she and she's up. She's a, a chief now. So that's an E7. But she's up for warrant. So I said, oh, look at that. You're going up for warrant. And she deserves it, too. She should get it. That's impressive. I love that. I love hearing that you keep in touch with those types of people. I mean, it's important when individuals grow and grow out of the pond they're in to, I feel like there's a, there's a responsibility and maybe in my opinion, I don't know. I always like to try to uplift individuals. And as if you, if you've surpassed a certain mark in your life, it's always nice to go back and be able to help uplift others and keep passing that along. It's kind of like the pay it forward method, just, you know, letting oh, people know that they're, yeah, that they're cared for and seen and things like that. It always, it makes a difference. Uh, there's a lot there. Um, a lot. Let's start with China. Uh, I want to know why your obsession started with China, when it started, and what really is it about the culture that you feel you want to understand? Does it come from an, um, a want to understand them so that you can um, you can look at them from the lens of intelligence of really like, why are they moving the way they're moving, predicting oh. movements, seeing movements? Is that really the obsession or is it the culture in general? And like you said, I I've traveled to China a few times. I understand the people are incredibly hospitable. They kept an entire hotel 
an entire hotel open for my husband and I, so that when we got there and all of the factory owners were there, that we would sit down and have dinner. I mean, none of them shook my hand and thought that I was the owner. When, when you arrived, company. right? Yeah, 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 totally. That's but a they kept... huge thing in China. Huge thing. Huge. But so they're hospitable they, as hell. If, but here's the thing, right? If it would be considered dishonorable in oh, China, yeah. if they had had guests arriving from overseas coming all the way to see them, um, mm-hmm. it would be considered dishonorable and was considered a loss of face if they didn't have the hotel open and have food ready for you when you arrived. That would be considered an inc- like just a slap in the face. That would be like them saying like, you know, a hu- huge disrespect to you, huge disrespect. So the idea of respect and treating someone to dinner is a huge, huge deal in China. That's why, you know, it's always sort of the head of the household or the host is, um, is always the one, um, if you're going to someone's house, the head of the household will always sit furthest from the door, right? Mm-hmm. You notice that they're sort of at the head of the table there. But then also if you're going out, right, that person is going to treat, right? There wouldn't even be a question of splitting the bill, um, obviously mm-hmm. tipping doesn't exist over there. Like it doesn't exist in most of the world, but, um, you know, the, the idea that you would go out and have to pay for something is just completely unheard of. That would be, it would be considered again, a dishonorable, um, insight to them. But so for me though, it wasn't, you know, the cultural aspects of it, I thought were interesting, but it really was more that intelligence kind of, you know, footprint that I was more interested in, um, you know, I'm not one of those, you know, you do, you meet a lot of guys, you know, when you're, when you're an expat in, in Asia, you meet a lot of guys who are like, you know, they're there cause they're super into anime or they're super into manga and, you know, the, you know, uh, martial arts obviously is, is really big. And I met some of those guys as well. Um, you meet other, everybody's, you you meet half the expats are always writing a book, you know, I'm working on it. I'm <laughs> yeah. just oh, yeah. almost done. I'm on chapter chapter four, you know, I'm on chapter 14 now, you know, like, okay, dude, yeah, you're, you're teaching English, like you're teaching English and you're like dating people and, you know, you're, you're doing the living your life, man. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you always have, they always have to say like, they're, you yeah. know, they're up on something. Um, but, uh, but that being said, you know, even though I initially came to it from the intelligence sort of perspective, what, what made it so much more interesting for me was that, Here's a place that has a completely different history than the West, a completely different cultural background, a completely different upbringing. Their value system is different. The the way they think and the way they approach problems is completely different from the West. And so what was so interesting to me as, you know, a 21, 22-year-old kid from the Philadelphia area, that's where I'm born and raised, is that you know, they, it, it made me learn more about myself and my presuppositions and my preconceived notions about how the world should be and how people should act and what is right and what is wrong. And not in a sense that, uh, you know, it changed my morality, but it just gives you different perspectives and it allows you to expand your horizons in ways that you maybe would never have thought had you not had that experience to really be able to look at something from someone else's perspective. And, um, you know, the Iraq war was, was in full swing during this time period. And so that was something where, you know, for me, looking at it from my perspective, it's like, well, yeah, I'm a patriot. I support my country. What else would there, you know, what else would there be? But then you talk to people and they said, well, what did, you know, what did Iraq ever do to you? And did they never attack the United States and they weren't part of 9-11? So why did you, why did you go do this? And I actually remember one time I had this taxi driver 
in uh in shanghai and i've been all over china but shanghai is where i lived but uh this guy said he's like oh yeah yeah really really respect americans you know and i usually told people i was american too if they asked because some of the expats they say oh just say you're canadian just say you're canadian everybody says that nobody yeah, wants yeah. to tie say the, that anymore tie the tie the maple leaf on your backpack you know so somebody knows and that's like a big thing with expats and i said no i'll just say i'm american right so i told the guy i'm american he's like oh yeah yeah a lot of respect for americans you know you guys you tell people what to do. And if, and if they say no, ah! <laughs> I was like, Oh, like that's how America's perceived over here. That's yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. That's, that's super, a little bit different than what I thought. You know, I thought we were just going around saving the world, you know? Um, and so like li little things like that and they start to add up, but then also, you know, really got into actually the history of Shanghai as a city is like super interesting because, you know, they go from this like fishing village to a, you know, a treaty port after the opium war um, with Imperial China, the Qing dynasty and uh, predominantly basically the British empire. So it becomes this sort of like European colony city where there's like a French section and a British section, a little American section and some German stuff over here, you know, um, and then, then after that, of course, then the Japanese invades, there's all sorts of battles, then the communists come in and take over. So there's just a ton of history in that city, uh, as well as Hong Kong and others that, you know, was super, super into. And what's sad, what's actually very sad, is that the CCP right now, even though, of course, they were they were founded in Shanghai back in the 1920s, um, had their first like party meeting and everything. And they have like the little the little like house is still there and you can go visit it and they have little statues of like chairman Mao and the other guys, but they're destroying actually most of the historic uh, yeah. buildings in Shanghai. They're tearing it down and they're, they're called these old Shurkuman. Um, it's, it's sort of like they're called stone courtyards, but it's the idea of this, this massive courtyard and almost, almost looks like cobblestones and it's um, so it's it's multiple apartments centered around one open area. So multiple families would essentially be living together. And so you'd have your own apartment, but then you'd have a community space in the middle. Mm -hmm. And there are these really cool blocks and alleys that connect all of them. And a lot of them are being smashed apart. And, you know, modern art, you know, modern apartment buildings are being put up and high rises and all that. And, you know, I guess that's a way to make more money. But you're really losing a lot of the character and a lot of the history of the city in doing so. It's really concerning to see things like that happen. I do talk about a lot of this on the show and I, we've actually been shadow banned and we've actually um, are being threatened to be demonetized and all of that now because of B, uh, Bill C-11. So where I sit and how things work and how I have these discussions are, are very few and far between because my opinions on them are very similar to yours and quite strong in terms of what's going on in, in China and why we should be paying attention to things like this because of what's being implemented in, in my home country. And and slowly seeping into yours in, in ways that people are, are very uh, unaware. And it's really concerning also because having people in Taiwan, having people in, in China and having these conversations with them on a daily basis, hearing things like uh, the very beginning, um, they were anybody who was getting vaccinated early, like early, early, early on, mm. they were getting an opportunity to go live in a better apartment building. Right. Uh, like there, these are things that when we have these discussions about generations being wiped off the face of the earth and active concentration camps while also doing import and export, like there's, it's this weird dynamic with China because there's so fucking much to have a conversation about. And I try to come at it from a, 
somewhat positive perspective considering how dangerous they feel. And on the other side, I work in conjunction with people over there. So I, I also understand what the people are like, but I also understand what the party is like and how concerning it is to see it, it really being emulated and put on a pedestal, this communistic ideals uh, with people like my prime minister. You can't have these conversations or you're, you're deemed a threat to the nation. And that's just, that's, People like to go and say, well, honking your horn too loud. What's wild to me is because uh, you don't know my background, but I'm pretty, for the most part, I've always been pretty damn liberal on most things. And Mm -hmm. there has been this shift in me over the past decade that hasn't even been necessarily going to the left or right, but being completely politically homeless on so many topics and so many areas. And then now I somehow, the mental health advocate is being seen as the, the, uh, what's the, what's the best word I've been called? Like the, the anti-vaxxing, uh, communistic, like hater, the one that is like not for her country when I'm still living in the country, trying to fight for the country so that I can go back to what the hell it was when I served for it, you know? And so it's this weird dynamic. And I do want to get into that a little bit with you because I've seen your rise, uh, online and things like that and what that does to a human being and the toll that takes because you can't sit there and pretend that what getting hate online the level you do for for things that anybody should be able to have a conversation about um it can't it can't not affect you my dude and i don't know how comfortable you are talking about that but it's got to have some effect it just well, does well for me it's 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 honestly like at this point you know when you first go through it it's it's so strange, right? Because usually for me, it was like, you know, the first time you get misquoted by a major news source and something like, you know, if, if you were coming from my side of the aisle, like we, we already, you know, have a general disdain for most of the mainstream media to begin with, but no, you don't, I didn't know when that you're, when you're in it. Yeah, no, I know. Shocking. Right. Um, uh, spoiler alert. Um, but when, when it happens to you the first time, nobody can really explain what it's actually like, because you say something that, and maybe you haven't had, you know, full, you know, for myself, having a full media training yet. And so you think what you're saying makes complete sense and is just very straightforward and reasonable. And then you read what's printed and what they've done is, to, and this is why I record all my interviews now if it, on the rare occasion that I do them with the mainstream, is that um, what they've printed is like half of what you said and without all of the beginning part of the context of what you're talking about mm-hmm. and make it, well, this person said this, to which they can say, well, yeah, I said that, but that wasn't the context that I said it in. And it creates this whole narrative that makes very people upset. And when I read some of the articles, I say, boy, I would be really upset if, if, uh, if mm-hmm. I was this person. If I didn't know me, I would hate this guy, right? And so I'm at the point now where I do think there's been such a bifurcation or really, you know, just, just smash in the, the iron grip that the mainstream media had had on society that I don't think it's as big of a deal as it used to be in the sense that but basically this way a hit piece back in the 1990s if you wrote a hit piece on someone whether it be in politics or personal life or the military whatever it is i mean they're done right they're just Mm -hmm. done right your life is 
over. You're not getting a job. You're not getting a sponsorship. You're not getting on, you know, there's no such thing as, as social media. So it would be like a radio show or a TV show. Uh, you know, ironically, Howard Stern was one of the first victims of this and now has turned down, to, turned around and is one of the worst persecutors of others when it comes to this. Which um, is boggling to me too. It yeah. feels very, I see that in, with so many individuals. I see this you know, they're, they're so pro one thing and then they slap the other way as soon as they're at a certain right. point when they feel like they're above others. Or I've had it happen to me and I've had it happen on a small scale. Like I've had it happen in a very small scale compared to you. But you know what I'm talking about. You know the dynamic. Oh, it's, it's vicious. Yeah. 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 And it's like, it's, I guess it's like when you're on the come up, you know, you're, you're willing to call out the system. You're willing to, you know, have that voice. Um, you know, and then once you, but then once you attain a certain level, then you're, you want to be part of the system. I mean, case in point, you know, not to like beleaguer the, the, the actual, um, the actual uh, topic, but you can go back to, so Chris Rock, like I was a big fan of Chris Rock, um, you know, Bigger and Blacker, Roll to New, you know, his, his classic nineties comedy um, albums. And it's just, just just him, your recordings for him doing a set, but there's like little sketches here. Uh, cheap heat was hilarious. The guy, the guy, he's like, I don't, I don't need an air conditioner in that car, you know. Um, air, air seems fine to me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Take it off, and um, like hilarious, just funny stuff, right? Yeah, and good stuff. He had this whole thing about uh, vaccines actually early on. He's and he was talking about there's no money in the cure. They don't cure anything anymore. He's like, you think they're going to cure AIDS? They can't even cure athlete's foot. Again, I'm quoting Chris Rock. I'm quoting him. I'm not like making any. Statement. Don't worry, I won't take it out of context either. Right. So don't he's, stress. You know, he's like, he's just making a joke about the situation, and he goes, you know, maybe we'll get to the point because it's, it's during AIDS. He goes, you know, maybe we'll get to the point where you know, some old, old men will say, Oh, I got some, you know, uh, it's about to rain. How do you know my rheumatism is acting up, you know, you know, and just different things. And, but then he turns around and becomes one of these huge promoters of that same thing. And even to the point where people are getting mandated for it. And it's like, well, wait a minute, weren't you the guy that used to make fun of this stuff like years ago? And you had all those great jokes, which were funny because, and this, this is the best part of actual humor, right? So, and there's, there's that whole thing, I don't know if you've seen it, where it's, it's sort of like a, a catchphrase or, or a metonym where people say the left can't meme because the left are memes. Um, and it's, there's, there's a kernel of truth to that because oh. comedy works when you have a shared understanding of reality. So a shared observation Correct. of reality. Um, this is why in, in, you know, most comics make jokes about the differences between men and women, because it's something that's just a blue chip topic. Everyone in their life has um, experienced the differences between men and women. But of course, because of social taboos, we're not supposed to talk about it. But that's why they get into it, because that's, you know, it's just comedy that's going to be relatable to everyone, right? Observational right. humor. But and then Jerry Seinfeld goes off and makes like a whole career based on observational humor. But suddenly it comes along and we're told by these new comics that no 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 you're not allowed to joke about those certain things but also we're going to tell you jokes that require like 10 pages of dialogue before you can understand the the you know the the plot line or the punchline because it's you know it it's their twisted distorted version of what's going on that they require to, you to put all these blinders and context and worldview in front of rather than just making an observation on something that we can all see 
based in reality. This is all. This is also, by the way, uh, why art itself is something that if you're on the far left, you can't actually do art because art itself is it should you know good art is a reflection of reality or a reflection of some some shared truth. But and and then you know it could be different expressions of that shared truth. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't mean it has to be realism, right? But they can't do that because they have a difficulty perceiving reality. It's interesting to hear um, you speak about when, when you're talking about the left or you're talking about the right, you say they. That by definition is just like, it's just like such a grouping of, of people. It's such a, um, it's, it's such a box you put around people. I wonder, do you think that you've always been this way where you've always been very stern in, 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 in putting people in boxes. I just, the way you talk about people, they, that's a term that like they, well, I don't I'm know. Not, you know, when I'm, when I, when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about specific political classifications okay. of people, not any one individual, because again, you know, Chris yeah. Rock is someone I can point to and say, well, that's Chris Rock. I don't know if he's Correct. on the left or the right or whatever. Same with Dave Chappelle or Elon Musk or Joe, you know, whoever, right. You know, mm -hmm. because every individual is going to be different, but when you're talking about a political group, like right, a full on you know, group, you, know, you have to have some kind of um, term to kind of, you know, explain who it is exactly you're talking about the same way that if you're talking about the people of China aren't, you know, there's what 1.2 right. billion, but they're not all the same, obviously. It's it, no, it's just interesting when I talk to Americans about politics or we bring up these topics, it's, it's I just don't hear that very often spoken about in Canada that way. So really? it's just a yeah, I don't know why. I don't know if it's maybe because the way what we look at politics, it's just not as aggressive. I think that we don't um Canadians in general, and maybe I'm speaking very broadly, but I think I I well, if there's I'm, one I'm thing Canadians aren't known for, it's aggression. <laughs> They haven't all met me yet. the The problem is we're not known for aggression. Well, like, the, I mean, you guys, are did, we ever you guys did burn down the White House, so there is that. I mean, you got to push us to a point, okay? We'll all get to a point. Our point is just well, no. I can, actually, I can actually give the response to that because the Americans okay. burned down Toronto, which was York at the time. Okay, so it, it was, a, it was there was a back and forth. There was a back and forth. It was the first time and only time we pushed back on anything. Yes. Um, yeah, but it's no, it's in Canada. I just don't. The political divide is there, but it's not there like it is in the United States. So like when I'm interviewing anybody or I'm in America, I, I know exactly who I'm dealing with based on the language they use. Mm -hmm. Immediately. There's no question when I'm in Canada, it's very unsure. I'm very unsure. They're like, there's a lot of closeted, you know. Republican type individuals, and there's a lot of closeted liberals. There isn't that open discussion of like, they can't do art. <laughs> like that's a term, that's just a way of describing it. I've never, I've never been exposed to. It's so, true though. It's totally true. Yeah. Are you but, talking about but, realism but, from an but, arts perspective? Is are you just realism? No, or no, just no, Art no, in no. general. Just art in general. I think okay. that because if you think <laughs> if you're someone who completely thinks in surrealist abstraction and you have no mm -hmm. connection to uh to reality in any way then at some point you're just kind of you're either uh dreaming yourself into complete absurdity 
or you're navel gazing and you're you're trying to so deconstructivism is like you know one of the hallmarks of postmodernism. So you're 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 constantly just deconstructing anything. So how can you build something? How can you create anything if all you're doing is going around trying to deconstruct the whole world? Nitpicking and tearing things down. Precisely. Speaking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this, so is, this is why postmodern this is why people are turning away from postmodernism in droves. And thank God for that. <laughs> because I mean, we need we, we just need to get away. It's a destructive ideology. It's it's something, you know, there is no truth, there is only opinion. And maybe I should have said postmodernist, right? Postmodern, you know, you know, fits a little better. Postmodern, like postmodern art, what even is that, right? Um, yeah. you know, there is no truth, there's your truth, there's my truth, there, you know, there's the tree, or is it the representation? No, it's a tree. It's a, it's, no, it's just a tree. A tree. It's made Literally, out of wood. It's a tree. It's, yeah, a tree. it's made of wood, it's got branches, it's it's part of nature, right? We like them, they give us air. Um, trees are good, right? You know, so will you your value system stop? Stop. <laughs> Right. And then yeah. and that's the biggest thing, too, is that there's no value system. Right. So there is yeah. no good and bad. There's only a person's perception of good and bad and the person's uh, choice into whether something is good for them or bad for them. The, the church and state deal in the United States is very different. I find you guys are uh, very involved uh, when it comes to religion and, and pushing um say pushing that but in schools but like it's it's not as separate as it is up here before we used to sing god save the queen yes we are still part of the the uk in that sense that we are you know the queen is still our girl she's our homie we're still under that kind of rule but there there is a detachment though within canada where as in america it's like the southern states the bible belt that holds strong and then you get this other this other part of our I would say it used to that, that since the 1990s, that that's largely gone by and far the wayside um, because mostly because of different court rulings where people have gone in. And of course we've got a, you know, a big potential court ruling coming up along that many Mm. people view along those lines, but um, it's, it's been a systemic and, and really not just in the United States, but the West, a systemic driving of, of God out of, the public square and what's that what that has done is ushered in this postmodern era because when you drive out god you drive the the share the shared set of a moral center right and so that's what the bible is at its most basic value right and i'm speaking from you know purely secular perspective me i'm i'm catholic like i'm bible 100 right um and so my whole family, we're Polish. That's how we come. Um, See, I'm a recovering Catholic. We're different. Where we'll we're get like, you back. It's, we'll bring you home. We'll bring uh, you home. No chance. I do too many psychedelics for that, my friend. Uh, it's uh, funny enough is I've got a friend. Oh, there's a lot that, of overlap. I'm, I, I was like, I'm, I was about to say, I've got a friend who oh, yeah. did, was an atheist who then did psychedelics and is like, I need to become a Christian now. <laughs> See, I'm on the I'm on the sense of uh, I would you know the which was wild, and I did not expect to see that coming. Really, you don't see? No, you've never seen that direct correlation. There's listen, there's with psychedelics. Well, I see and, it now. I see it now. Hundred percent. There's a there's an absolute ton. It's the it's at the basics at the basics at the base of all is we are one. We are we are all humans. We are all of something bigger than ourselves. We are all connected. We are all unified. There is that that you and I will we we can. We can hang on that all day Agreed. long, Absolutely but then agree. there's, but then there's shit. That's like that Catholic church sure did murder a lot of Canadian kids and we're finding them in mass graves and they're not owning up to it. Kind of problem. Well, so, there's been some issues with that story. A lot of that came oh, out as like cemeteries. It's not, they're in my province. Oh, I've been to them. It's straight up 
or apple orchards in the middle of residential schools, like with thousands of children, like it's, it's bigger than that. And that's where I, where I, with the church and I can never, I went to church. I did Catholic school. I, I did it all, man. I wore the white dress well, so, at communion. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll all put of it this it. way. I'll put it this way. The, the organization of the church, like any human organization and, and not to like go down the whole rabbit hole in this. Oh, but that's, but you're right. You just said the right word there though. And I think that's the key word that people miss any is, human organization right, is, is going to commit, is going to commit sin because all humans do commit sin. But that does not change the fact that it is the church founded by Christ Jesus. Yeah, I don't, you know, again, I did that in school and I, I have so many memories of it being a, a positive experience to a point. And then once there was this conversation in Catholic schools where there was just, there was a lot of hate put into it. And then I lost out on that. And then I joined the military. And then you go through that stage when you're in Afghanistan, just dropping bombs on people left, right, and center and saying like, Mm. I'm doing this because they're, they're hateful towards me. And I hate, I've been taught to hate them. And there's this whole, we should hate people that are different, but yet we should love the, we should love the church and the Bible because we're all one, but yet we're willing to drop bombs in Yemen and we're willing to drop bombs here. And we're willing to like drone here. It's, it's a real hard thing on that. And I don't know if you saw uh, Pope Francis came out and, and said, got a lot of press over, and I'm not like really much of a Pope Francis fan when he gets into politics, um, that he came out and said something about the war in Ukraine, where he was sort of saying like- Yeah, what was that about? Where he was basically saying, and of course, you know, the Vatican office had to come out and no, 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 it was a mistranslation. Yeah. Because <laughs> what he said was, what he said was, well, He's like, I disagree with what Russia's doing. And I think most people do. But then he also added, and I and I think that NATO shouldn't have been barking at Russia's door that led to the anger that they that the Kremlin felt. And suddenly it's like, whoa, whoa, not to say that. Not allowed to say that. And it reminded me of something that I had not thought of in almost 20 years. And going back at the time, I remember in around 2002 2003 it was that huge push for the iraq war it was you know war fever was on 100 percent. iraq has wmds they might have had some oh yes 11 we better watch out we can't let this happen again we have to take on this new posture we have to do preemptive strikes all of it and pope john paul ii was one of the major figures who came out and said don't do this don't do this this is wrong and it shouldn't be done. And I remember at the time, it was something as a wait, 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 but he's the, and the wait, but I thought we were supposed to. So it's kind of like what you're saying that, right. you know, you, you have this idea of someone's telling you this is the right thing to do. And you're, you're, um, you know, a patriot and you're, you're on the side of the angels, which is something, by the way, that the West does perpetually in the way that we conduct warfare is through um it's it's moral warfare it's always moral warfare right it's always hearts and minds hearts and minds we are spreading democracy we are spreading truth we are spreading freedom around the world and every bomb that's dropped becomes another um you know another seed and that will blossom into a flower of freedom that goes on forever and and that's what you're told i had buddies in the navy who were on the uss kearsarge which was one of the ships that was involved in Yemen, or excuse me, uh, in Libya, 
in the um, in the initial, you know, it wasn't really an invasion, but I guess you could say intervention in the Arab Spring that led to the downfall of Gaddafi, and had a buddy of mine who was enlisted intel specialist who we reconnected years later, and he said, uh, actually, funny enough, was, he was in the same class as me as that other friend who, now that I think about it, that I just mentioned, who's up for warrant, um, and he goes, uh, he goes, you know, Jack. I remember that when we when we were running those missions and we were putting together the strike packages, so like your your star package, your targets, uh, your target set, that they were telling us we needed to do this because Gaddafi was about to slaughter all of his own people, and that he we were saving that mm. we were saving Libya by attacking the Libyan government, and it was this sort of like you had to do it. And then we said, oh, okay, well, if we're saving people, then this makes sense. Right. And then he suddenly, but then years later, he started questioning it going, wait a minute, we, we didn't save anybody, right? We destroyed the government of a country and then allowed these insane groups. And this is where, you know, Benghazi comes from and all the rest, mm-hmm. um, you know, allows all these groups to really come to power or at least, you know, create chaos uh, throughout the entire country that obviously isn't better for anybody than the open air slave markets off of the, you know, the coast of Tripoli now. And he was saying, wait a minute, did they lie to me when we were, when they, you know, were telling me to do those missions? I was like, well, uh, I think we all, I think we all lied to ourselves to, to an extent. Well, I think that's it too, right? You get, <clears throat> I had a, I had an episode yesterday where I had this discussion about like, we, it, it's uh young men fight rich men wars right and and that's what it 100%. is you get and that's yeah. all that it is is you you can be told something to go do something on behalf of something and you can believe it wholeheartedly because of we're saving we're saving but i mean i was told i was saving the women and children when i was kicking down doors pulling them into rooms only to find yesterday they've gone back so far that women can't even leave their homes like and they have to wear the full burqa again and like it's right. like it it's like what the what are we telling ourselves to justify going in and 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 spreading love and joy and democracy when realistically we're never there to fix it we're there to make money and we're there to fuck off and then we leave these people in ruins so i go through this weird moral outlook on how we go into these countries and we help these countries when we just we never do it to the full we never finish it we never finish it we never actually come through with what we say we're going to come through with we have an ideal we sell it to the government we make a lot of money on weapon systems and we go in and we blow it up and then we go ah you know what it's just not worth it's not worth sticking it out and figuring it out we can't well, it's too much in the money United states we're finding out that um tonight it looks like as we record this that um president biden is calling to up the 33 billion for Ukraine to 40 billion dollars for Ukraine in in a time where um, <laughs> here in the U.S. right now I don't know if you've heard this yet we we've got a a um, a baby food for baby formula shortage because they, they had to pull I think it was Similac off the shelves because they had an issue where um, there's a bacterial infection and so that's had a cascading effect because then everybody's trying to hoard you know the other brands yep and you go you go to a target now in you know like central pennsylvania or texas and there's nothing there's just a sign on the shelf you know we're really sorry that you know we can't get it out so at a time where we literally can't feed our own babies our own children right and we're going to turn around and send 
an amount of money that's like the you know the budget of a small country to a war that's on the other side of the planet where we don't seem to have any plan whatsoever it's like you just said we don't seem to have any plan whatsoever for how it's supposed to go other than fighting it for the sake of fighting Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, it's you're fighting for the sake of fighting because you have to keep the industrial complex going. If you involve yourself in something, then at well, least sure, you the money know laundering, money comes. Right, you know, and I said, you know, I, I was joking around on Twitter. I said, you know, how much of that forty billion goes to the big guy, right? Because you know, we understand that there there are contracts. The contracts go back to with with the defense industry. So that that same defense industry then will turn around mm-hmm. and they will donate to the campaign coffers of everyone who supports them. And so, you know, if you're someone who's in there or if you're on the board of one of these things, if you're prior, Lloyd Austin, who's the secretary of defense of the United States right now, came directly from the board of Raytheon. What's Raytheon, the major manufacturer of the Javelin <laughs> anti-tank guided missile system? Mm-hmm. So the, the most ubiquitous weapon system that's being used on the battlefield in Ukraine and because so many of them, unfortunately, have been captured, by the way, that's being, they're being used by both sides. What a great business model for Raytheon, where directly our Secretary of Defense for the United States came from, who, but we're told, don't worry, we're told that his stocks are in a blind trust. So even though he may not have divested from Raytheon, we know, we know that everything is completely above board. I, and, and like, this is a genuine, serious question. So just bear with me when I ask this. How, 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 how the fuck? How does anybody sit there and really, truly digest, like believe this shit? Because I know in Canada, there's people that sit there and are are like, yep, you know, Trudeau's a good guy. Trudeau didn't abuse the wartime act. Trudeau, you know what? That woman that got trampled, she threw a bike first. Did you know that? No, 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 she didn't. No, she was an elderly woman sitting on a chair that was meant because she couldn't stand long enough and got trampled. I'll I'll never forget that picture. Did you, um, one moment, did you see the, the eight pages that got leaked from WhatsApp of the RCMP chat during the protest? The one that talks about- Or was it screenshots? it, It was screenshots. Screenshots of like a group chat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know, I know um Kim Bexty, who's the guy who reported that originally. Um so yeah, I, I him remember and, when that went up. Yeah. Yeah, him and Jeremy McKenzie. Jeremy reached out and sent it over and he goes, Oh, he did. Oh yeah. He goes, Did you see this? And I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, those are phone numbers and names and badge numbers. Right, because that's right, because the original the yeah, original we can see everything. One, I think they tweeted it had the phone numbers on there, and then they realized they had to take it down because or else Twitter would have ganked that. Um, yeah, Rebel News posted it with um, everything originally, and so they, uh, yeah, so they took it down and then and then redacted it and put it back up. Yeah, my and point I'm actually, is, though, I'm actually like, I'm actually okay with that. Like, I know people, you know, the, the whole issue with Elon and Twitter and censorship. I'm actually okay with, like, I don't, I don't think we should be doxing people unless they're, unless it's I don't think we should be doxing committed a crime or something, and you I want to identify who the person who committed the crime is. But but if you're posting addresses and phone numbers, right, that's something that I don't think is above board. No, I I I completely. And agree I, I don't think that. they meant to. I don't, I'm not trying to say that they did. I think that they were just so excited that they got the scoop that they, you know, they posted. Oh, trust it. me, in the group chat, people were all for posting with 
the names and everything attached. People were had enough. And the, the the point I'm getting to here is what I don't understand is how 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 do we sit here? How do we sit here and 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 talk to these individuals and and, and hear them believe one side so wholeheartedly? Well, so I guess I they could say in the, I guess yeah. they could say the same about us. But when you're really sitting there and you're and you're just saying this is people single moms with $20 mm-hmm. donation are they're losing their bank accounts forever. And they justify that they justify this. I know people who just sit there and say the people who are getting hurt, it's their own fault for being there. Right. Well, I think, I think there's a couple things, right. I, th- I do think that with the, particularly with COVID-19 itself and the way that Western governments have responded to this thing and, yeah, I know Klaus Schwab has his whole Davos Great Reset agenda book that he has out and whatever. But w- when you really look at it, it's that was something where the and in the UK they've admitted this, where they actually were using uh, what they call um, you know behavioral science to infect their messaging and to inform their messaging on how they use sca- essentially scare tactics from the government to go to people and try to terrify them into staying in their homes. Because I think early on, I think the idea was early on, people weren't sure what the deal with COVID was and everybody was erring on, you know, on the highest possible side of caution that they could, right? And then, you know, and then as things went on, people started to realize, all right, this seems to affect people differently. There seemed to be little you know, certain, you know, body types or characteristics that are affected more age obviously plays an issue, you know, uh, respiratory issues, you know, precondition, et cetera, et cetera. We start, we kind of started to get a sense of where we were. Right. But the problem was because the fear tactics were cranked up so high that for other people, it never shut off. And I do think that the way that you consume your media was a big part of this, because I don't think that people are stupid. I think people are busy and people are distracted. Um, and so it's, it's a situation, no, that not being said, like, you know, some people are definitely stupid. Um, <laughs> I was going to say that like, I mean, look at your prime minister, for example. Um, oh, he's so bad. He's that, not that, my I prime mean, minister. Look at our president. I mean, you he's, know, it's, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't hang a flag today in Ukraine. I saw that. I saw he that. Fucked it was in, off it was to Kiev. He just, in Kiev, just, right. He just fucked off to Kiev. Right. With, just was like, I gotta go in the middle of parliament. I don't want he parliament to, to stay Bono, open. Right? He heard that you two was going over. So he, he heard to- we gotta be friends. Tried to hang the flag. Flag won't go because the world says no. The world says you ha- no, that <laughs> that that flag can't go. So no. And he can't do it. He can't even do a flag accurately. No, he couldn't, he couldn't do it. And then was like I think the foreign minister was with him or something. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it was embarrassing, regardless. Was, and I was, will make fun really, of it. I mean, it would be the same thing, by the way, if Joe Biden was trying to put one up. So I don't want to, you know, I don't He was really, terrified by the Easter bunny. Yeah. That was uh, good for me to watch. Put up a flag. That's it. That's interesting. No. Probably not. The answer is no. But um, but uh or it's either Trump wouldn't be able to do it or he would do it like really, really well. And like, really, it would be, it would be one or the other. It would be be either one or the other. (laughs) And then if he didn't know how to do it, he wouldn't try either. He'd just be like, Hey, put that flag up. Pay a guy. Yeah. He's the definite, he's the definition of I've got to pay the guy. Right. Exactly. I'm not going to try. Who's who's an expert at this and I'm going to get them to do it because I don't know how to do it. And he's not going to, he doesn't try to front. That's the other thing. He doesn't try to front. He's like, he knows if he doesn't know how to do something, he's like, Hey, get, get the smart guy in here. Go, go do the thing. Um, what were we talking about? Oh yeah. We were talking about the fear tactics. 
So I think that the fear factor, um, another Joe Rogan reference, um, <laughs> turned up so high though for so many people yeah. that it became one of those self-fulfilling prophecies of, you know, the ends justify the means. That if we can save one life, it doesn't matter how many people, you know, have to go hungry. It doesn't matter how many people have to get arrested and how many people it doesn't because because they were so scared. But what was what's sad about it was you really got the sense from a lot of these tactics that people would say, well, it's about saving others. But it really wasn't. It was about no. they themselves were so terrified of what could potentially go wrong and and that's not to that's not to knock it you know like i have a i have a personal friend who went through uh throat cancer right mm -hmm. and so he's somebody he's like i need to be triple vaxxed and i need to be double masked because if i get like one particle of that thing i'm done right he's right. out like he's he's not going to make it right he's there you know do not pass go do not collect 200 you're out right and but so yet he'll him, shoot it into his body Right. Say again. But then he'll shoot it into his body three times over. Uh, he went and did it. He went and did it. Uh, I think he did it three times. I'm not sure. But but I could under I can understand from where he was coming from the fear perspective that, that for him it was an obvious um, threat. You know, it's it's a it's a risk benefit computation that we should all make. But for him, right, his risk is is already you know almost at a hundred percent. So he's got to be as careful as possible. But then when we turned around and we were doing that to healthy people and to healthy children and mandating these things, when I mean, we just got the masks off their airplanes like a week ago, um, this idea that, you know, we were forcing people for so long to do this. And to the point where, like, I live in the Washington, D.C. area now, there are people now who still won't take the masks off. You they haven't seen Canada, have you? Uh, not in a while. No, I, well, I was going to come for the, the freedom convoy, but I'm, I'm not vaccinated. So I, uh, you know, my you're not welcome. We've had COVID and we just, you know, we didn't want to do it. And we, uh, we, we would have come if we were able to, but obviously that's what the whole protest was about. We're still, we're still most of any time I go to the grocery store, I would say there is at least a 60%, 70% still wearing masks. Wow. Um, they're still, they're still have masks on I'm in Vancouver. I'm in, in well, Vancouver, I don't live, I don't live in the city, but I'm in British Columbia. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. And so, no, I'm like this, there's teachers who still wear masks. They make the kids wear sanitizer. I'm not exaggerating. Anytime they leave the classroom, uh, kids are still wearing masks or being forced to wear masks. Um, they've allowed businesses to continue with the mask policy. And they've also made business. Some businesses can still, if they choose check vaccine documents, we still can't leave the country. We still can't get on buses or trains or anything. If you're not vaccinated, you still can't leave the province on a plane. You still can't um, go to certain businesses. They're still laying off employees if they're not vaccinated. They are uh, doxing. Like it, this shit's this, still happening. It's, it's in Europe. It's starting to come down. A no, we're not. We're down not coming down Europe. at all. And because they've also you can, stated you can get into Europe with a negative test now. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. In Europe. But so now the way that it's working to even get on a but to get through an airport in Canada, you can't leave the country without documents. So it's fine. That's your Europe. That's great. But you can't leave on your you end. 
on our end, if I want to go to, like, you need to have papers to leave the province wow. to get yeah, on a bus a or anything. In the past, it was called the Soviet Union. Yeah, it's um, super awesome. It's called an exit visa. So yeah. they would essentially create an exit visa. It's seen as one of the, you know, craziest possible things that you could do. Uh, We're the only a, country in the world that has this, but we have this. Canada I, has this. I didn't realize that. I honestly... Um, I have not heard of that for any other country because we're no, talking you, there to isn't. folks who are uh, going over to Europe in a couple of weeks here. And so we've been, you know, we've been going through country by country and, you know, most, most countries in Europe, even, um, you know, even like UK, even Hungary, Poland, like it's, it's yep. just coming down, you know, negative test. And some, some countries aren't even asking for the negative test. Well, the United States though, here's the kicker. So this is where it's weird, right? You can't, fly in from Canada if you're unvaccinated, but you still, you guys don't allow us to come in unvaccinated, right? So the United States, as of last that week, was... re-upped it on land borders. Okay, we yeah, can't that was, go. Yeah, that, yeah. The reason I'm hesitant is because I remember this thing kept changing, right? No, it's still going. I know it for a no, fact. It's great, but it's I, still going, okay. Yeah, 100%. And they re-upped it. They wow. revamped it and said yes. And then, but the kicker is, Canadians, Canadian citizens within Canada cannot get on a plane, a train, or a bus out of the country. We are land, we are locked in. Canadians are locked in the country. Canada. And nobody knows about this because of Bill C-11, mm-hmm. which is now in place, which means this won't go far unless you post about it, even though we use VPNs because we are Canadians. We now have state-run media with CBC, right. where Facebook and Instagram have to pay CBC in order to run anything with their name on it. Bill C-11 blankets the country. And last night, overnight, they slipped, the liberals slipped in some new bills that will affect in the next 10 days, the handgun laws. So we are stuck. So they're just, I, they're just trying to grab as much as they can. Yeah, and the liberals have now stated when in Ontario, if they get in in the next bit, they will make it mandatory for every five-year-old and above to be vaccinated, so to let's, go to let's school. Let's go back a little bit. Let's go back a little bit because you asked me mm-hmm. why I got interested in China and then why I'm still interested in China. And so when I first got interested, it was because I thought China, and I still do to an extent, you know, is the greatest threat to the West at the time. It just seems like an existential threat with the rise mm-hmm. of this. You know, I remember, and I was saying, like I said, before I'm Polish, so it's like, they're a massive communist country. Communists are bad, right? You know, we're supposed to worry about those guys. So the Soviet Union went away. We won. Awesome. Rah, rah. You know, go go team freedom. But what about these guys in Beijing? These, this seems to be an issue. And uh, as I got more interested in it, so I was living over there and I was spending time working at the American Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai and then eventually was was working for another consulting firm that does international business. And if you, here's the way I tell a story now, right? So we were always told back in the late 90s, early 2000s that we need to open up to China because if we start having economic relations with China, you know what I'm going to say? Yep. That, it, that it will make them more open and they will have access to our capitalist system and it will make them support capitalism and it will turn China uh, to be an open, democratic and transparent system overnight. Hearts and minds. Hearts and minds, right? And it's going to happen except it didn't. And so when I was over there, right, I would see American politicians and American business leaders 
congressional delegations, CODELs, et cetera, coming over. And you know what they would say? They would say, wait, so how does your system work, right? They would say, well, and it, you know, we were talking about those buildings that get knocked down earlier. So when you want to build like a high-speed rail or a magnetic levitation, maglev train, whatever you want, um, you say, well, yeah, it's going to be great. You know, Shanghai Disney World, whatever. That um, you know, you we're going to put it here, and it's going to come from the airport, and you get all the way from the airport to the center of the city in 20 minutes, and it's going to be this much. And then, and then they would say, well, what about all the people that you know that live in the area in between? And what about them? What about them? What, what about them? Fuck them. That's what about them. Move them. What about what about this? Is this like a historic district or something with that old thing? Nah. <laughs> it's in the way. Get rid of it. Right. And then and then you can see this on a larger scale with. Um, so because of China's rise, their economic expansion, they need they need more energy. So they they are not an energy um, independent country by far. Uh, they do not have the resources they need. Almost all of their energy needs are imported. So for them, energy is key. Building those connections and building infrastructure with the Middle East, um, obviously overland is hugely important for them. So they want to go over, but you know, of course they have this issue in the way. It's called the Himalaya Mountains, right, geographically. And so they're trying to build now infrastructure between China and the Middle East so they can get their energy across. The problem is the same way they used to do the Silk Road back in the day with like between China yep. and Rome. The problem is there's this group of people in the way of the Chinese railroads and pipelines mm. and, uh, and road systems. They're called the Uyghurs. And they're in this area called Xinjiang. And so they said, well, the Uyghurs are in the way and the Uyghurs don't want us doing this to their land. So what do you do? put them in concentration camps? And so people by the way, always talk about the Xinjiang and I've been to Xinjiang and I've been, I've, 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 I've been with the Uyghurs. Right. And, but nobody explains why China is doing it. Right. They said, well, China's just evil. I said, well, uh, I mean, yes, I believe it is evil, but to them, they just say, well, that's our economic interest. And so we're just going to do it. And who cares? For the good of the people. That's the key to authoritarianism. And when we opened up with China, when we signed these agreements, when we started going over, it wasn't they who became more open. It was we and our leaders who became more authoritarian. And so you had the 1% yeah. of China, which is the CCP, and the 1%, if you actually do the numbers, it's, a, it's actually a little less than a percent. Um, and then you have the 1% in the West. And this is where I'm with you, that it's not left, right, it's up, down, right? Um, is the issue because they want to institute that same type of China model here in the West. They want total control, total authoritarianism. You know, you can call it the Great Reset. You can call it whatever, whatever you want to call whatever it. Whatever right? uh, conspiratorial yeah. word you want to use, use it. Yeah. Use and it. they, but you hear them saying, well, we, you know, we can't let this, this is a time to reset our global markets and reset our global economy and reset our, our basic understanding of what our relationship with the government is. And they always painted in these, you know, super positive pictures. Yeah. Um, and then they go off and meet in, in you know, at this snow peaked um, uh, <laughs> summit in the Alps with their yeah. helicopters. And, and yeah, because that's normal, right? Called Davos. Super normal. And uh, yeah, as you do. And, and yeah, we're doing, don't worry, we're doing this for you. And you realize, yeah. wait, you're not doing this for us. You're doing this for you. You want us locked up and you want us to be atomized and you want us to be consumers. And mm -hmm. I actually had a whole thing. I actually, funny enough, um, because I was coming at this issue from, and I, I, I try to come at issues from a uh, kind of a sideways sort of um, 
strategy sometimes because sometimes if you if you just launch right into it like uh you know like a sean hannity or a rush limbo and i have nothing against those guys but you know sometimes it can it can it can turn people off they don't want to hear it so i the other it day, really I was, can and i was trending on twitter all day on uh sunday and monday because i was talking about pizza hut um oh. and people were like why is Pasobic talking about pizza hut and even the twitter trend was like they didn't know what to say political commentator jack Pasobic discusses pizza hut in a series of tweets I'm always discussing things in a series of tweets, right? But you guys don't always write about it. And they said, what's the deal? And my point was, I tried to take my kids this this past weekend. You know, we were were coming back from a movie and I saw that there was a pizza hut. I said, you know what? We haven't eaten yet. It's it's still kind of early. Let's stop. Let's pick up some food. Let's let's go eat. Because I had all these great memories of visiting Pizza Hut when I was a kid with my parents. I remember that. You know, and they had Book It and these personal yep. pan pizzas. Yes. And you would go in if you read enough books and you would have it and you would sit down. You had those those amazing red cups yep. that would keep your cold your your soda cold, but they wouldn't sweat. Um, mm. pizza buffet and you know the the tablecloth was like you know red and white patterned but yeah. nobody really cared if you got it messy it was sort of like you're allowed to be a kid and in video games and it was just great I was like yeah let's let's go with the kids let's stay at the pizza hut I go in and this place was a wasteland it was it was filthy it was there were you know uh, cardboard boxes everywhere there were um you know just a couple of the uh, you know chairs on tables and you know one booth was just full of delivery drivers you know app drivers waiting for their DoorDash or whatever to be done and i'm looking at this place and i'm saying like i can't bring my kids here right? right this is not a family place to bring my children no way and then you start thinking and i said you know it seems like we've lost a lot of those family places that we used to bring children right that were just that used to just be a ubiquitous part of of life right where you would go and you'd be with my parents and i started thinking about it i said well, yeah we used to have that one and that thing closed and we used to have this thing and then that thing closed we used to have this shopping mall but then that closed and then huh huh it almost feels like they just want us in our homes consuming things that are brought to us from a little piece of glass mm-hmm. that you know you you order your food or your romantic partner or your uh, mm-hmm. TV show or whatever it is off of the little piece of glass in your hand, but you're never actually having authentic human relationships or mm-hmm. just interactions, not even full relationships, because those places where we used to experience the world and experience life are just slowly kind of being taken away in the name of consumerism. Right. And that's why China's just it's a terrible And of course China is a huge threat. part of that. And so when I talk about and so I think some people kind of got it and other people are like what are you talking about pizza hub for man their pizza isn't even the best. I'm like oh man I'm no, not talking that's, about that's, it's I'm using this as a cultural t- mm-hmm. I'm talking about culture. I'm talking mm-hmm. about culture and I'm talking about life and this was a cultural touchstone for so many people in the 1980s 1990s there was this you know, and it was sure it was Pizza Hut and it was shopping malls and it was Blockbuster video and it was oh, you know, Blockbuster, the, the rolling rink yes. with your friend. These were these were social rituals that we held as a society. And yeah, maybe it was middle class and maybe it was pedestrian. But you know what? It was fun and it was wholesome and it was good. And so, you know, the idea uh, actually I was talking about this with a buddy of mine and he goes um, he's from central Ohio. And he said, you know, there's 
there's nowhere where you can loiter anymore. Right. <laughs> you know? Yes. There's just this like, idea of, yeah, we used to just kind of hang out hang at the out, mall or like, like the seven yeah. elevens with the slurpees. Yeah. And like, when you just said, when you just said pizza hut, as soon as you said pizza hut, I knew exactly what you're talking about. I can remember so clearly going when the promotion of reading books was like the thing that got you got you like moving you're like oh i'm gonna read more one more book when i came in with that filled out book it with all the stickers how good and they treated you like a king when they saw yes. it too they treated you so well they're like well 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 what do we have here they're <laughs> proud know? of you it was a community was that awesome. was saying it just was like awesome good job kid you did something good for your life you did something even though you're gonna eat shit you know what so somebody driving some another point because I've I've been talking about this in a couple shows now is that what what made it make sense was that this wasn't an artificial culture or some sort of artificial corporate brand that was pushed in your face. They were tapping into something that already existed in the West mm-hmm. um, from the 1950s on had already existed, and they just found a way to make a national or international brand you know, based around that same social fabric. It wasn't like they were reinventing the wheel, mm-hmm. right? You know, they said, we want buffets. We want Tiffany lamps. We want, yeah. the, you know, the cups. We want a greeter, someone happy to see you. Someone who's just not, you know, you go to a restaurant now and you walk in and they just throw that, you know, that buzzer at you and then they don't even talk to you. Yep. There's no uh, interpersonal skills. I see that so often. Well, you're you were saying that your ch- your son is little, and my son is yeah, little. So my son turns. Uh, my oldest son turns four. We have two, we have two boys, and uh, the oldest turns four on Saturday, uh, and the other one just hit seventeen months. Okay, so you. So fortunately, the baby formula thing is not an issue for us right now. Oh, good. Well, I'm very happy to hear that. That's never. It's never yeah, ideal. I have, some, I have some friends for which it is an issue. So it's. Well, it's, I can give you a fun fix for that. That'll work. Oh, what do you for got? Them. What do you got? Yeah, no, no. Seriously, we had to learn the hard way with our guy. So, like, yeah. I'm a big. I'm the proponent of like boob if you can, but boob, if you can't, you got to figure it out some other way. And so the best next thing that a tiny well, that, little that human. My wife. So my, my wife is from yeah. Eastern Europe, so she's <laughs> like very you know i want natural stuff i want yeah. to do stuff organic um most of the formula that we would get we would have her family bring send us from europe yeah. uh to begin with so yeah different she, standards she, but right there with you oh yeah. yeah so if but if you can't and you can't get access to formula go to goat milk goat milk is the next closest milk uh and has the same similar digestive enzymes as breast I've heard milk this. does so i've heard this yeah so we did that with Jack. When I didn't have enough, we supplemented with goat milk and then we never had to use formula. So go use goat milk. If you can't get formula right now, try five. I know it's hard. It's not as hard as people think. Mm. Goat milk is literally everywhere. They just don't think to give it to their kids. It doesn't have the same antibiotics. It doesn't have the same anything that normal dairy does. And it has the same wow. um, biomarkers and things. So that's why you see in India a lot, they will literally take the kid and just put it on the goat if they have no to. No way. Because no, have you never seen that? Wow. No, I haven't. Oh my God. Yes. Goat milk is, is the next best thing before formula. If you can go, well, no, I mean, rest, I've seen goat, kids having goat formula. milk, but I've never seen them, you know. Oh, you've never seen that? I'm going to send you some videos, my, my dude, because <laughs> I'm also super woo woo and hippie like in that sense. And it's like, if I'm going to oh, yeah. find the next oh, yeah. best thing for, for him and we went to goat milk. So yeah, if you can't get formula, go get goat milk because okay. there isn't a shortage on that right now that I know of. 
Okay. Just, so yeah, we're good. The other, um, the other thing that we do is that there is a, um, believe it or not about an hour drive from us. And I totally do it on, on, you know, weekends when it makes sense, we drive an hour out of the way. I bring the kids, I throw them in the car. We go to a drive-in movie theater. Oh my God. Yes. And it's, it's been open since 1956. And it's one of these places where the snack bar, it's exactly the same, except for the prices, obviously, um, as it, as when it originally create came out, um, the, the artwork is all 1950s. Um, they sell like, you know, uh, uh, what do they sell? Frozen pickle juice is like the thing that they sell and just all sorts of random stuff. So American. uh, They play old, um, you know, old commercials, like let's all Mm -hmm. go to the lobby. And, um, before, before the movies start, they, um, they actually ask everyone to step out of their cars and to stand up and they play the national anthem. God damn America. And it's like, this is so worth driving an hour out of my way because that's a memory that my kids will have for the rest of their lives, right? Going to the drive-in movie with dad and standing up and putting your hand over your heart. And for what? A minute, minute and a half, right? It's not that long, but it's the fact that everybody does it. And again, it's that community ritual. And, you know, we've been going for a couple of years now. So we start to recognize some of the regulars and, you know, kind of, you know, kind of work in a little bit. And he recognizes some of the kids. And there's like a little playground on the side where they can go during the movie. And it's just, it's just fun, wholesome. You know, sometimes we'll even go if there's like a bad movie, but we just want to go. Well, it's there's like, that, I just, I want to spend money in things like that. I want to support things yeah. like that because if you don't, they go away. And then, you know, that's how you fight the, this, the, you know, the, the, the global homogenization. That's how you fight the global homogenization. How do you do it when you're state run media? Because in America, there's a lot. Like, think about this. In America, you guys have two. Well, different I'm just talking about lifestyle. I'm just talking about lifestyle. Lifestyle in general. In, but in, I'm, I'm you know, asking the, you. Freedom of speech issue is still is another one. Well, no, I'm I'm genuinely asking you because there's a lot of people here, at least in Canada. Like the m- majority of my listeners are American. So when I talk mm-hmm. about Canadian things, it's literally because they don't have a clue what's going on up here, um, because no one does. And it's because well, I do we, work with. I do work with. Um, I don't know if you saw, but uh, Human Events recently just uh, uh, mer- did a merger with um, the, the Post Millennial. No, and I didn't. So, yeah, so um, okay. they're part of sort of the greater Human Events uh, media group, I guess is what we're calling it. And uh, so we've got we've got the Canadian team, and they they asked us about this. So do we want to, you know, do you want to bring everyone to the U.S.? Do you want to? I said no, no. I want to keep. You know, Post Millennial was originally Canadian, and it mm-hmm. should always have at least one foot. Uh, north of the border and covering Canada stuff. And even if it's, you know, even if it, you know, some of the internecine politics, um, but doesn't make any sense to me, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to leave any of those followers or any of that audience in the lurch, because I think that the way that post-millennial had built itself up was through Canadian politics. And I said, hundred percent, like, make sure they're always covering Canadian politics. Because if somebody isn't, you're not going to hear about it anymore. The way that exactly. it has all changed, you're not no, going have, to hear about so it. We have a duty. Have a du- it's a duty. It's a duty yes. to make sure that this this message gets out. And, and I'm and glad. By the same, you know, and I used to work for Rebel um, mm-hmm. uh, years ago. So I mean, same same thing with Ezra and Rebel, and just nothing but love for those guys and everything that they've been able to do in the face of 
real actual adversity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I, I have some very, um, Cal, I call them my California friends, uh, who were, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just try to be nice. Um, I call them my California friends and I have some individuals who are like, I'm pissed off about the, um, the truckers because they're messing up our trade. And I said, they're not messing up your trade. They're not affecting your trade at all. My parents are long haul truck drivers. No. They're, get, they're getting through yeah. just fine. There's nothing to do with that. They're not messing up anything. I said, they're a group of individuals standing up for a country within a country that no one hears anything about because our media is reluctant and unwilling to have that conversation because they're paid by the current administration. So, but at least in America for as, for as, I don't want to say as, much as we've spoken about America, you know, has its issues with this and that for at least for America, there's at least two perspectives. At least there are more than one type of people having that conversation. There's a different narrative on either side. In my country, there is one narrative. And when you have one narrative that you cannot push back on, that you cannot question at no point, can you say anything against that by definition is communism in my eyes. And well, that's so, China. yeah, that's China. <laughs> that's why when I fly home to Canada or I do any travel, I very often say going back to Can China because I, and I make that joke and people think oh, wow. I'm being racist towards Vancouver. I'm not. I'm being legitimate. And when I say that we have the same, we have lost the same rights, we have the same issues, we have the same problems as China. The only difference See, I've never, is I've never visited Vancouver. I've actually <clears throat> always wanted to because I've heard there's a pretty big mainland Chinese population that's in Her, Vancouver. Pretty big? No, I know. I know. I've never been. You mean there. owned been there. every uh, all? So it's yeah, it's something where um, <laughs> you know, just always wanted to, you know, whenever we go somewhere. So I speak Chinese and my wife speaks Chinese too. Believe it or yep. not, even though obviously neither of us are Chinese, we're both um, Eastern European by background. And uh, so we always are looking for places to, you know, like be able to practice. And oh, you, you know, would die here. You yeah. wouldn't have to so speak. We, so you don't. It, yeah. You don't need to speak English in, in in British Columbia at all. Oh wow! Wow. No, you go to Richmond. All the signs are in Mandarin and Cantonese. Um, no way. Like no, Richmond is predominantly predominant, predominant, predominant in Asian culture. Period. Well, across that's where the I want to go. Yeah, that's where but, I want to yeah. go. You go to Richmond. The expat, like I was the expat who didn't want to be an expat when I was in Shanghai because there's oh. like. There's different, you know, there's different areas where, you know, the expats would congregate. French concession is a big one of them or different like enclaves where you could go around. And I would say, no, I don't want to be around any European anything. Right. I want to be in China. I want this experience. That's why I'm here. Right. And so I would go for other than work. I mean, I would go sometimes for days without speaking English. Oh yeah, you can easily, you can easily, the the South Asian population in, in in British Columbia is so massive. The Asian population and and immigration over here and buying up property is so massive. We instituted in British Columbia a separate tax of fifteen percent on people who are purchasing homes from South Asia because we literally have so many being bought up and then left empty. Well, that, their yeah, money. that's also an issue, but that, that gets into an issue because they're being used as investment vehicles because people are yeah. trying to hide. Um, particularly, you see this a lot with, um, with party members from the CCP mm-hmm. that they want to be able to try to protect their whatever money if you, through whatever venture they're into. Um, there's uh, banks are, are not considered very trustworthy in China. So you do actually, when you meet, you know, someone who's middle-class in China, I mean, it's, it's not uncommon for them to literally keep money under the mattress or, oh yeah, um, you know, have money like in some, you know, 
false closet kind of thing or you know false back of a closet kind of right. deal or safe um but when it comes to the the higher cadres or the, like i was saying the one percent of the ccp they'll use um properties abroad uh, particularly in canada but we see this in the in the u.s increasingly and also with food producing land agricultural land here in the u.s that it's being purchased by rich CCP members um, and they're not living in it, they're not using it, right? And this, of course, is driving costs up for everybody else. Yeah, I mean, for us, I mean, I don't see some of my neighbors, I see them three times a year wow. or, their, or their kids just live here and are just little shitheads with their, <laughs> Lamborg- with their Lamborghinis going 180 down the freeway. Like, Yeah, people, ah, don't, like, people <sighs> don't realize, right? And that's, by the way, I always say this too, that- when people talk about, oh, the success of the CCP, this, the CCP is so wonderful. It's not successful. We, that's us. That's, we gave them our wealth, all that mm-hmm. money, all of that, um, that, that, all those jobs, when they went from the, the middle of the US, those manufacturing jobs, when they went mm-hmm. over to China, guess what? That's where your wealth went. When you look at the city of Chicago and you say, why is it like this? When you look at Detroit, you say, why is it like this? Why are the New York subways so poor? Why are the airports, you know, falling apart? Why are our bridges and buildings falling down? Um, you know, Miami, we just, we had a building just, just collapse, right? Right. We're at that point of civilization or a couple, you know, a couple months ago. What? Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Huge, huge <laughs> issue in what? Miami. Right. A whole, whole apartment high rise collapsed and everybody was killed. Everybody. And it was just because of shoddy workmanship. I did not hear about this at so, all. Oh yeah, yeah, no, it was big news. Oh um, no, or absolutely horrific. But it, it was one of those things where it wasn't even some you know act, intentional act. It was just we're at we're in that much of a decline phase right now that things like this are going. We can't even fit our own children, right? Um, we can't we can't start a baby formula uh, facility that's that's just mass producing this stuff without you know having a bacteria outbreak apparently, and. And then you turn around and you look at, so that when we were talking about Shanghai before, um, so there, there's East and West. Have you been to Shanghai? I've been to Shanghai. I've been all to the surrounding, like Guangzhou, Shenzhen, all of those types of more manufacturing area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then okay. Thailand, so, Taiwan. So in, in uh, Shanghai, there's, there's a river and then there's East Shanghai and West Shanghai. So the East side, um, the West side is the older, that's, that's the historic Shanghai. The East side has only existed for like 30 years. And prior, so 30 years ago, that was all farmland. It was farms and they were actually considered by people on the West side as kind of like bumpkins. Um, And that you were, you know, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't let your daughter date somebody from that side was something that people would tell me. Um, But then China came in and the government, the CCP came in and said, no, that's going to be our financial center. That's going to be our hub. And so they wiped, they took out all the farmland, like you were talking about the farmers bye-bye, um, the, they got all kicked out and then they put, they essentially built their own version of wall street and put it right there on the other side of the river. And so when you look at those, uh, pictures of like the quote unquote famous, uh, skyline of Shanghai with like mm-hmm. the, uh, the, you know, the, the Pearl tower, and then a couple of the other, um, towers next to it, that's all brand new. That's literally just built in the last 30 years. That is where the money from the West went. That's why your cities are are falling apart. That's why your infrastructure is falling apart because all of that time, our foreign direct investment, our capital outflows, our our wealth, right? This wealth creation was being sent over there. And so along with the jobs to build up the rest of China, while here in the West, you know, all we got back were, you know, hey, we got some TVs, I guess. 
There's, it's funny because when you talk about them in the way that they build, like I, I they're but smart. But it's not the CCP that did that. It's really no. not. It's the West. But that's the thing is people can't think that they, if you, if you say that to a regular Western person and you, and you say that they're going to go, that doesn't compute. That doesn't make sense. They did that. They're, they're, they're this, this, and this. It's like, no, it, it, it starts somewhere. And when you slowly start giving intellectual property and you start doing these right. things, they're, they're just going to take it and they're, they're going to run with it. That's why they, their manufacturing is so impressive and they pump out the rate that they do. That's why they don't allow TikTok during the days. That's why they don't mm -hmm. allow certain things because they want to promote health and change. Like one of the best things I don't, maybe this is, I, this has probably happened to you. I know we got to jump soon, but one of the best things that I always get, and they're the most honest people. When I went over there, I was only about nine months after having a baby oh, and wow. I'm not, I'm not going to do the accent because I'll get canceled for it. But they said to me, they're like, Kelsey, you're so fat. Why are you so fat right now? Oh yeah. Yeah. They're very, right yeah, to that's, my that's, well, I, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm not like, you know, they never, I've never heard anyone say that to me, but. Oh, um, they said it to my husband too. Like when he stopped they are racing. Very, yeah. They're very quick to talk about people's weight um, yes. in a way that is just not done in the west anywhere or um you know they'll they'll ask you what we would consider very personal very taboo kind of questions yes. um they'll or um another thing they they'll they'll ask how much money you make um that's oh, another oh, one yes all the time it put you in the spot right off the bat right put you in the spot. how much do you make there right and then yeah. they also go they go by month not by year mm -hmm. um but it's still it's something where it's just not one of those things that we would consider a personable thing to say right and for them, it's just common conversation. But then right, what's funny yeah. for me is that what I usually like to do, um, or what I did, you know, maybe they know at this point, but um, <laughs> I would, uh, I would just go in and speaking, you know, complete, complete, you know, really strong American English. How are you doing, guys? <laughs> Welcome. Oh, boy. Very excited to be in China. This is like a new experience for me. Yeah, is there anywhere that I can use my credit card to purchase some souvenirs for the family? You know, oh and, my gosh. Uh, and then so then they would start talking without realizing that here I am sitting in the room and I can understand every word they're saying. Oh, that's the one thing I wish I could speak a Mandarin when I go over there because I know for a fact when you they're see, looking you could at learn. me. It's so it's so like there's a learning curve for sure. But honestly, yeah. Rosetta Stone is is amazing. I think Duolingo is amazing. And really? then, like you said, if you live in areas where once you kind of start, once you, once you kind of crash through the barrier, right, there's definitely mm -hmm. a barrier, but once you crash through that, you just keep going. And then especially if you're living close to areas where you can immerse yourself, then that's just totally. a total leg up because then you're going around and you're hearing things and you're like, oh, wait a minute. I just heard that on Rosetta Stone. That means, right. you know, the boy is drinking or the, you know, the light is green, whatever it is, right. Basic everyday stuff. And then you get to the point where you're just constantly learning it. Well, whenever we do have our communist dictator chill out and allow people to leave and come in and out of the country, yes. come up and I want to walk around. Well, I always say that, like you know, this. once once the gulags do get instituted, that I know that what my job is going to be, <clears throat> I'm going to be running the Mandarin language lessons. Yeah. Else. <laughs> so hold on, hold on. So that we'll be able to communicate with the guards. Oh my God, Jack. That's brilliant. I don't know a better way to end that. I think that's, that's, I think that's fucking fantastic. I've, I've said that one before. Oh, I know, but it's, 
I haven't heard it and I love it. I can appreciate it. Uh, we didn't get to chat about nearly anything I wanted to talk about. Oh, and you have, dude, you got the accent dialed too. Well, I, I, you know, it's, it's like you, it's like I said, you, you, you immerse yourself, you live there for a while, you know, you, you start just, you start getting into it, the rhythm of it. And it's my, my, I'm so bad. I'm so rusty from when I was actually living there. Um, and then even when I was in the Navy, um, I was still using it on a regular basis, but I'm just right now, I'm super, super rusty. That's okay. And then we'll we tried to go to San in. Francisco. We even tried to go to San Francisco and then go in, but because all the crime there is crazy. I mean, the whole place closes at like 6 PM. I know I'm going down to Texas here in the next couple of weeks. And then I have to go up to LA for a day. I'm, I haven't been to LA since in two years. So I'm I'm real LA curious. Is, LA to is best see. avoided. I try to stay out of there as much as possible. I know I have to do one day there, and then uh, and then I'm yeah, back. I did like one. I did like one day there, and I was I was doing some filming for Prager, and then we. Uh, I just I was pretty much like in. Well, I had like dinner with a friend, and then I left. You're like that's enough. It's enough. Actually, it's a solid amount. I'm going to San Diego for a wedding uh, in like a month. San Diego is not so bad. It doesn't no, San seem so great. bad. San Diego is God's country. I love San Diego. <laughs> Can't say it was God's country. Oh, normally 100%. I hear about. I normally hear that about Texas, but I love hearing that when someone says about San Diego. That's fantastic. It's um no some of the area La Jolla beautiful. Oh yeah, beautiful. yeah. I've got some uh, friends that live there, and we visit, and it is definitely one of uh, it's one of the calmer, relaxing places to go right now. Well, that's that was for a, sure. Um, uh, there's a there's a huge Navy base there, and so when mm -hmm. I was um, as an officer, that was a spot where. You know, you're going for training, you're going to Coronado Island, yeah. um, you know, you go out there for some conference or whatever, and then you're on Coronado Island, right? You know, so. Yeah, hey, I I, I, I go there to visit friends for a reason. It's, mm -hmm. hey, it's like your face is nice, but this is nicer. Oh yeah. So oh, yeah. it's okay. I'll say it to their face. It's fine. But it's, uh, it's been great having you on. And I'm, I'm really, I'm going to say it. You got to come back because I want to pick your brain about, uh, your time in Cuba. I do want to talk. About yeah. Guantanamo. Yeah. We didn't even talk about that. Did we? I know, dude, we could do this for hours, but, uh, I'm yeah, that, that's, time. uh, uh in, in a nutshell, it's, um, there, there's the Hollywood version of, of Gitmo and then there's the real version and they are really just not the same thing. Well, that's okay. So when you come on again, we'll have you give me the real version. How's that? love it okay awesome well can you give everyone your handles and everywhere they can find you and follow your <laughs> your comical tweets yeah so it's um at jack Posobic, uh on twitter getter true social instagram whatever whatever you, whatever you do uh the podcast is human events daily we are a podcast for people who don't like podcasts so we do 25 minutes per day that's it in and out uh the news you need and then you're gone and uh, of course, I'm also the senior editor of humanevents.com, which recently purchased Post Millennial. So we're working with uh, the great uh, Libby Evans and Andy No and Ari Hoffman and just so many incredible, incredible uh, reporters, commentators and journalists there. Um, it's, it's just it's really, really cool to be on the same team. Well, I'm really glad uh, for the expansion. Thank you for bringing on some people within Canada. So it's not just me screaming at the top of my lungs like oh, a crazy no. we'll person. Have to get you. We'll have to get you um, next. If you've got, hey, you know, I'm supposed to be the editor. If you got an op-ed, you know. I mean, we, I got some stuff. Submissions. I got some stuff, please. Okay. Okay. We'll publish you. All right, darling. Okay. I mean, if you well, meet our standards. If you meet our standards. I mean, please, I am the standard. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. We'll see. Okay. We'll see trust we'll get there <laughs> otherwise you stick with me everyone else that's been jack we'll see y'all next week